August 1999. Then-President Bill Clinton's impeachment trial began in the Senate. Bruce Willis left people questioning everything in the thriller The Sixth Sense. Christina Aguilera claimed the top spot on the Billboard Hot 100 with her breakthrough hit, Genie in a Bottle. And on August 20th, 1999, two women and a toddler were last seen at a babysitter's on the outskirts of Nakusa, Wisconsin, but it would take years for an investigation to begin. There's people out there that do know what happened, but they don't want anybody to know. I have this child and the mother's not come back. We lost not only our mom, we lost the relationship between us as siblings because they just vanished. Everybody vanished. I'm Cassandra Cepeda, and this is Forgotten. Janelle Marquard, Dakota, and Dana Menger. People disappear all the time. It's not illegal to move and start over, especially if you're an adult. If you want to go missing, you can go missing. You know, if you're an adult and you want to go live off the grid, you can do that. It's an unfortunate truth. Sometimes people drop everything and everyone on purpose, but sometimes it's more sinister. I think there was foul play in this, and she's probably gone. 21-year-old Janelle Marquard and 27-year-old Dana Menger are no strangers to police. There's a drug history. There's a history of some thefts. Um, I think we would probably classify it today as really a, a kind of a habitual criminal history, but a minor. I, I mean, minor offenses. Nothing that someone would run away from the law for years. The pair were friends. Janelle lived in Wisconsin Rapids. Dana lived in an apartment with two of her three kids in Nakusa, just a stone's throw away from the police department. Like most single moms, she relied on babysitters to help from time to time. On Friday, August 20th, Dana, her two-year-old son, Dakota, and Janelle dropped off Dana's youngest daughter. We'll call her Sarah at the babysitters. So this particular, particular babysitter in Saratoga um, it was fairly common for that one child to be watched by her. It seemed like a typical drop-off, but hours went by. Then Saturday came and went. Hearing this, I thought it was odd that a mom would leave her child for more than a day without saying something, or at least leaving extra clothes. But I guess this was pretty normal for Dana, at first. Well, I think she had said that it would not be uncommon for Dana to be gone for a couple of days, but started to get beyond the normal um, activity, I guess, or what she was used to from Dana, and then said, hey, something's going on here. Days went by, and four-year-old Sarah was never picked up. Eventually, the babysitter called human services. I'm not sure how many days after, but eventually, police say Dana's parole officer contacted Nakusa PD. The three technically weren't reported missing then, which is information I'll get into in a little bit, but it was enough to raise a couple of eyebrows. One of the Nakusa officers went over to the apartment and talked to the uh, manager over there, and they took a peek, and everything appeared normal. That's Police Chief Sean Woods of the Nakusa Police Department. He was one of the original investigating detectives on the case and has since passed it over to Detective Brian Mahone, who you heard a little bit earlier in the episode. So months go by, then years go by. No one hears from the trio. Little Sarah is put into foster care and is eventually adopted. 
But remember when I said Dana had three kids? Sarah and Dakota have a big sister. For her protection and privacy, we are going to call her Kate. We didn't even know was dropped off until she was adopted. At the time of Dana and Dakota's disappearance, Kate was in second grade living with her grandmother, her dad's mom to be specific. They didn't have the closest relationship, but during our conversation made it clear, Dana loved her kids. I felt like she really had everybody's best interest at heart, even though she didn't always make the best decisions. Like she truly cared for her kids. Which makes what I'm about to tell you so confusing. Kate doesn't remember exactly when she found out that her family was missing, but she does remember a very cryptic phone call from her mom. The last phone call. She said that she loved me and that she did something really, really bad. And she was crying and she was upset. And I remember, you know, kind of like looking at my grandma like, you know, I don't understand. Like, I don't get what's going on. And my grandma ended up taking the phone and said that, you know, she said that she was leaving and she wasn't coming back. Did you hear it? My jaw just hit the floor. I wanted to know what police thought when she told them. I assumed even though the three weren't technically reported missing, police would have reached out to the people closest to them, including Dana's oldest daughter, right away. In 1999, Kate was young, seven or eight years old, but I would think she would have had some memories or information worth contributing. No, I wasn't interviewed until, I mean, 2017. I mean, that was the first time I've ever had a conversation with anybody. 2017. That's 18 years after her sister was left abandoned at the babysitters. They never reached out to my grandmother. They never reached out to my father. None of that. To be clear, Kate and Sarah have different fathers. In 2004, Dana's brother reported her missing, triggering an official investigation. But by then, investigators were five years behind the eight ball. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if they had started digging in when the babysitter reported the situation to Human Services. And Kate agrees. At that point, I felt that, you know, in my situation, if I was in that place, that I would have done that investigation at that point. You know, because, I mean, how often are people just abandoning children? Like, let, let's be honest. In hindsight, from my perspective, there were so many red flags back in 1999. Two missing women, a missing toddler, an abandoned child, and two untouched apartments. Why didn't the police start an investigation then? I pressed both the chief and detective on this. There are certain um, criteria that we have to follow. Um, the family member reporting someone missing really is a key piece to this. However, it's not a requirement. By the time police started their official search, the apartments were cleared out, which means whatever possible evidence inside was gone. Yeah, potentially, um, just to see, you know, what things were left inside and, um, you know, what they were up to. Did they, did they pack a suitcase? Some, you know, something as simple mm -hmm. as that. Police say the five years between when the three were last seen and when they were reported missing, plus the women's risky lifestyles, are two huge roadblocks in this investigation. Well, the family, like I said, they were, they were so estranged. There was some th thefts of money from the family. And I think the, some of the people closest to them had just washed their hands of them, at least at that point, and said, I, you know, I don't want you back in the house. You stole from me. 
um, this kind of activity and behavior just really put up a wall there and unfortunately that existed all the way up until the time that her brother came and reported her missing. It's an unfortunate consequence that can influence how people on the outside think of their situation. And Kate wants to set the record straight for anyone listening. I think part of what's very frustrating for the family is when you see these people just assuming that nobody cares, because everybody cares. It's just that, I mean, how do you know where to even begin looking? Detective Mahone says they started by establishing a family tree then formulated a plan learning who had the most contact with Dana and Janelle, then dozens of interviews. We're not just interviewing a person one time. There's, we may interview a person one day, um, then interview someone else that gives us more information that we have to circle back to a, a someone we already interviewed. So it's a lot of interviews and re-interviews of people. In an email, the detective told me they're still searching for the vehicle they suspect is involved with this case and are searching databases in hopes of locating it. I'm not sure whose vehicle they're looking for or what it looks like, they wouldn't say. Nakusa PD did say Dana had connections in Milwaukee and Kate remembers her mom leaving for days to spend time there. But if any considerable information was gathered from that part of the state, police wouldn't say. We've reached out, we've um... We've gathered information from that area, um, and we, we continue to. August 20th of this year will mark 24 years since the women in Dakota were last seen. During our interview, the chief and detective were candid, saying it's highly unlikely their disappearance was voluntary. Kate had similar feelings. I definitely feel like there was some kind of situation where she probably felt threatened that she had to leave, but I think her intention would have been to come back. I truly believe that. I think there was fear. So I wanted to know, has anyone ever been considered a person of interest? I would say that we've developed um, people or persons of interest. Um, we're not at a point to discuss those people publicly. Um, but we're still working on figuring out their involvement or um, what they may or may not have to do with this. If you Google Marquard or Menger, there is not a lot of information out there. Nakusa PD is honest saying theirs is a complex case. They even describe it as a cold case, but they made it clear it's not an inactive case. We've created essentially a task force to, to work on this. We have um, investigators from, from the city of Wisconsin Rapids assigned, the Wood County Sheriff's Department assigned, and the Department of Justice assigned. So we have uh, many skilled investigators uh, dedicated to this case. But the police weren't the only ones hard at work. For nine years, Kate was busy following her own paper trail to find her sister, Sarah. I had to do my own investigation to determine who she went to, which foster care home, reach out to that foster care home to figure out where she went from there. And then I was able to find out her last name of what she was adopted as. And then I was able to white pages it at the time and find her. And maybe that's the one silver lining in all of this. The girls have already lost a brother. They didn't need to lose a sister too. I'm so glad Kate was strong enough to push through and find Sarah. 
and I hope their relationship only gets stronger. I don't know what forced Dana and Janelle to drop off Sarah and take Dakota and never look back, but I do know their friends and family are not going to stop looking for answers. I think the biggest part is knowing that there are people out there that are still looking for answers and would love to have that closure of what really occurred. And if there's anybody, any, any possible thought process or memory or anything that could potentially lead to more questions and possibly answers, I mean, I would just really encourage people to speak up. So Janelle, Dana, Dakota, if you're listening, you have not been forgotten. Today, Janelle would be 45 years old. She has hazel eyes with a scar on her left arm from a lighter burn and is six foot one. Dana is five foot eight with brown eyes. She has several cross tattoos on her left shoulder and one on her right hand. Today, she'd be 51 years old. Dakota was just two years old. Today, he'd be 25. We have an age progress photo of Dakota by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children on our website, WSAW.com. Please go take a moment and look at it. If you know anything about their disappearance or where they are today, call the Nakusa Police Department at 715-886-7897.